Fonzie, like a hey. I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey guys, what's up, everybody? Howdy. Hola. <laughs> Hola. Should I say mahalo? Mahalo. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's raining here where we are. James, how's it where you are? Oh, it's been beautiful today. I got so much sunshine today. Oh, why don't you stop bragging, James? <laughs> we got sunshine too. Mm. I can't hear you over all this vitamin D I'm synthesizing in my body. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And we're here to talk about another weird thing. Yeah. This week we're talking about cults. We're returning to cults. This topic was submitted to us by Callie. It's been a while since we recorded you guys. How have you been? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm still, you know, for, there's a brief moment there where you did like a vel, like, I almost said a velvus, but an Elvis accent it sounded like. <laughs> yes. I? Yes, I'm very, very into it. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> now you're making me all nervous. <laughs> I guess I guess velvus is appropriate because he's got that velvety voice. Ooh. Ooh. There you go. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, James, what about you? I can't complain. Uh, you know, we did an episode about Blavatsky, and now I'm in the Theosophical Society of Kentucky. So, oh, Jay, so I guess your interview went well. Yeah, sure did. Oh, that's wow. awesome! Yeah, well, yeah. congratulations! Welcome. Round of applause for James. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, man! So that's a a pretty cool uh, life event for you, James. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to remember that when we write your Wikipedia page someday. <laughs> I like that we get to write it and he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. James is 2,000 years old. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. All right, you guys. Well, do we have an icebreaker? An icebreaker? An icebreaker? No. Oh well, uh, but, you know. Before we get started, I guess I'll just I'll just throw this out there. I'll I'll choose the icebreaker. Today. Oh okay. Yeah. But we want to give shout outs to some of our listeners in various geographical places yeah. because man, you guys, you guys have been listening like crazy, and it warms our hearts mm-hmm. like to the max. Great to the max. But just yeah, seeing how many downloads we've gotten lately has been kind of mind blowing. But it's mm-hmm. exciting. So we want to give shout outs to our listeners in. Australia, yeah, particularly there are lots of them. you know you know who you are in Brisbane and uh, Melbourne, particularly yes. you, you two in particular, yeah, keeping in touch. But- yeah. Well, let's not let's not single people out. Maybe a little creepy for. Them. <laughs> <laughs> and then also Hawaii, we we have gotten like people are listening in Hawaii like crazy right now. So thank you guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna learn the ukulele just for you guys. Just like, yeah. just like every millennial girl. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. That's right? true. You'll, it's nuts. It'll yeah. be plastered all over your TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> you know, James, I would love to see you with a TikTok. Uh, maybe I should start one. I don't know. I would, you know, I have never wanted a TikTok, but if you got one, James, <laughs> I, might, I might have to join. That would be awesome. Oh, man. All right. Well. The icebreaker that I'm going to ask right now, you guys, is if you could just hop on a plane at this very moment and go anywhere, where would it be? Ooh, right now? Yeah. Assuming I don't get the you, C to the it? No. Yeah. None of that. <laughs> you can go anywhere. Uh, What's at your heart right now? You, like, know what? Like- you know what? I would like to go to Hawaii to see our listeners. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Go meet up. Boy, look at you taking my answer. I want to go to Hawaii <laughs> because I just want to go to the beach lately. Like yeah, I yeah. have been craving some ocean in my life. Same, and that's a real ocean out there. Yeah, but James, what about you? Oh uh, man, I kind of want Hawaii, but just for the sake of being different, um, I really would like to see Osaka. <laughs> yeah, oh, like, that was my like, that was my other option. Yeah, it was just it's like somewhere the, in Japan. Yeah, it's like the Houston or Atlanta of Japan. You know. It's like uh, it's like southern southerner Japan. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, interesting, James. Yeah, yeah. friendly, a little bit of a twang. I, I want to have a travel show called uh, "Hillbillies Around the World," where I just go to like the the hicker, <laughs> the hickier portions of the the globe. You know, like northern Italy, northern China, the hickier, north. <laughs> yeah. 
we I have, hope we don't have any listeners uh, in Osaka. I was going to say, we have listeners it's in... It's a compliment. Of course, you know, James, James is a, from a rural Hickier Yeah, exactly. Area, so yeah. He could, I guess he could say that. I want right? to go there because I would relate to them. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting, James. Interesting. <laughs> so... I feel like you just offended half the globe. Nah. <laughs> so James wants to go to uh, Osaka, and Alex and I. I mean, that's good. We can just we can get group plane ticket. You and me, we can go. Yeah, we can go. Anyways, yeah. all right, you guys. Well, that was our icebreaker. I think I'll probably ask because I've been thinking about this, getting on Instagram and asking all of our listeners basically our icebreaker questions. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. So that's a good you guys, idea. Yeah, if you're not following the 13th floor on Instagram, it's at 13th floor podcast. So follow me and I'll talk to you. Mm, wow. Talk to me. <laughs> now, the question is who's going first for our Colts episode? You know, mm. I was wondering. I'll do it if nobody wants to volunteer. Yours happened before mine. But well, kind I of. Guess. Are we doing chronological? Sure. I, I, did, I didn't know that. Uh, this I mean, is a yeah. series of. I, an easy way to decide. I'm just gonna go. Oh, Alex, fine, take it. <laughs> my, my, mine went sh- shockingly in depth this time around. I'm a. Uh, mm. I think I could have looked at this for a very long time because it has layers like an onion, <laughs> or an ogre, what? or an ogre. That's right. Oh my gosh! What? That was a Shrek reference. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm excited <laughs> to learn. Tell me. All right. So. I did the Branch Davidians. Oh. Ooh. And it's a cult that I kind of sort of didn't realize that I actually had heard about before. Oh, my <laughs> <So>. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> but they're actually an offshoot of the uh, Seventh-day Advent Adventists. Who are not a cult, by the way. Right, they're not. They're not a cult. This is actually, actually, the Branch Davidians are a cult of a cult. <laughs> yes, like I said, onions have layers. <laughs> <laughs> so the Branch Davidians are an offshoot of another sect of the Adventists. James, tell me what it is. Adventists. Adventists. Yeah. <laughs> Adventists. Yeah. One of my neighbors used to be one of them. General, so they were the General Association of Davidian Seventh Day Adventists. <laughs> I'm gonna have trouble with that. Why am I having? Okay, yeah, so not a bad but, word, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the that branch that I just mentioned broke off in 1935 due to a series of these writings called the Shepherd's Rod by Victor Hotef, and that quickly got him kicked out of the main religion. Uh, but not before he took some of his own followers and they followed him to this place just outside of Waco, Texas. <laughs> and he founded his compound and it was called the Mount Carmel Center. His teachings said that the end of days were coming and everything they did at the compound was to prepare for the, the second coming. Uh-huh. So like most relatively unhinged religions, an ETA was put at the <laughs> an ETA was put for the end of the world. And when the end of days was going to come was April 22nd, 1959. But before the end times hit, Victor Hotif died in 1955, leaving his wife in charge of the religion. And this kind of seems to have created some sort of like power vacuum because a man named Benjamin Roden, who was actually someone who had worked with Hotif in the past, he kind of he had a resurgence and he came back in and was like, hey, guys. You can call me the branch. And so people came to call Benjamin Roden the branch. And mm. he called people in and all the people that joined him, all the people that answered his call became the branch of the Davidians. Uh, the branch. I was wondering why it was called that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's because he called himself the branch. That is a really weird nickname. And uh, that's, an, that's a common theme. It, with with cults is flipping nicknames or titles or whatever. Yeah, it's actually taken from a uh, part of the Bible. I'm trying to rem- I don't remember the uh, the scripture at the uh-huh. moment, but it it is a it is a specific reference in the Bible. Uh. So a couple years later, Florence, who was Hotef's wife, she still seems to have a little bit of power. She still owns the property, but she moves the compound to Elk, Texas, which is still pretty close to Waco, and uh-huh. now. 
the new home is given a very clever name. New Mount Carmel Center. (laughs) (laughs) So, after... (laughs) After getting hyped for the second coming and, you know, their new digs at this new location, two years later, well, we all know that second coming didn't happen on the day that was prophesized. It didn't. Mm. And it was a huge disappointment, so much so that Florence completely disbanded her husband's sect of the religion and sold most of the land. So the only religion left is the branch of the Davidians. Uh. Her, Her husband's branch is completely gone now. I mean, mm. the completely came disbanded. And went. Yeah. So she sold most of her. Jeremiah twenty three five. One day in the future, the Lord will raise up for David a righteous branch who will reign as the rightful heir to the throne. There you go. Uh, <laughs> oh, <dang. laughs> Sounds like you just pulled that right out of your hat. I did. No, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> if his hat was this digital computer screen in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, over time, the, uh, the Roden family started buying up all the land that Florence had left behind and bought up her land that she had had. And then the Roden family grew. He got married. They had a kid. Then Mr. Roden passed away. Mm. Well, when he did, his wife, Lori Roden, was in charge. And then her son was one of the leaders of this cult. But then a man named Vernon Howe, formerly known as David Koresh. Oh, okay. That rings a bell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David Koresh shows up, and suddenly things begin to change pretty quickly. Mm. <laughs> I, I could tell James was interested by his grunts and growls. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he came into the picture, and he came in wanting to learn from George Roden and study underneath him in 1981. Now, this is supposed, but how started actually, or Koresh, wherever you, I'm going to be flipping back and forth, but I'll, I'll call him Hal for now. How started to have your relationship with Lori Roden, who is now in her upper 60s, mm. and some think that he was using this relationship that he had with her to move further into it. And he was certain that they were supposed to have a child that was supposed to be the chosen one. And she was in her 60s? She was in her 60s. Man. Yeah. All right. And then 1983, she, he had convinced her to let him do his own teachings. And his teachings were called the Serpent's Root. Ooh. And by 1984, Hal had flipped most of the church over to his side. And this is mm-hmm. the most cloak and dagger story, and I've right? never heard any of this. This is fascinating. <laughs> and so, in an effort to for uh, George Roden to try to get support, he challenged, <laughs> he told Hal that he couldn't raise the dead. And the guy went as far as to dig a body out of the ground for Hal to raise up and to bring back to life. But Hal used that opportunity to press charges on Roden and try to get him kicked out of the church, get him arrested and kicked out. Wow. Unfortunately, it didn't work because there was no evidence either way uh, that either one of them was able to prove that the other one did it to each other. Jeez. And then, oh, yeah. <laughs> November 3rd, 1987, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Hal and seven of his followers storm the Mount Carmel Center with a ton of weapons, 400 rounds of ammunition. Hmm. And their objective was to get rid of Rodin. Now they did eventually find him, but he was hunkered behind a tree at the time. Just hiding behind a tree. Yeah. He was hiding behind a tree with an Uzi. (laughs) Rodin was, but they had a long gun battle that lasted several minutes. And Roden did get wounded. He, I think he got shot in his somewhere in his chest and on his hand, but he made it out. Yeah. He made it out alive. Now the problem is, is there's a two week trial afterwards for attempted murder, <laughs> and nobody was convicted of anything. What? Everybody got off. That is <laughs> Everybody insane. got off. Yes. 
Froden leaves, and two years later, in 1989, this is how paranoid he had gotten. He thought that Howell had sent someone to him, and as a result, he killed the man, his roommate. He killed his roommate with an axe, thinking that Hal had sent him and like kind of was like spying on him. Oh. So, so he gets put on trial for murder, but he's found not guilty because of insanity. <laughs> so he still gets thrown in the loony bin, and he actually escapes a couple of times, and then he eventually dies. Jeez. Yeah. So th- that that's the end of his story in here, though. Now. Howell, who is now by law known as Koresh, David Koresh. He's, okay. He was formerly known as, like, everyone around the area called him David Koresh. But in 1990, he actually changed his name to David Koresh. Mm. And so he's, they're, again, they're, they're not guilty. And this is, this is the, the stones on this man. After he, he gets prosecuted for all of this stuff, found innocent, he invites the prosecutors up to Mount Carmel for some ice cream. Ice cream? Mount Carmel. I, that. I love ice cream. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so his ego was so big that the reason he picked David Koresh was because Koresh is the biblical name of Cyrus the Great, mm-hmm. a Persian king who is named a messiah for freeing the Jews. So he sees himself as this liberating figure who's yeah, leading too, people to not too many humble cult leaders. <laughs> no, <laughs> ain't that right? All right, and then David is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so things are clearly spiraling. Ooh, right, a lot things of have gotten pretty violent over here at the uh, Branch Davidian, mm-hmm. and now that takes us to what most people know this cult for. And that is the 51-day siege that federal authorities laid on them. Man. (laughs) Because the ATF and the FBI had found out that not only did they have a ton of weapons that they shouldn't have, they also were uh, had rampant sexual abuse, particularly with minors. Hmm. Yeah. It's another commonality with cults. Yes, it, it is. Um, so they start the raid by trying to barge in like you typically would. Now the problem is, what if they're waiting for you? Or they're <laughs> they had a lot of weapons, right? So they try to breach, and after a two-hour gunfight of non-stop ammunition, the ATF ran out of ammo. Four ATF agents were killed. 16 were injured during this two-hour raid. So after the raid, there's some talks. And this is over the, this is over the course of a couple of days. But 19 children are released without their parents. And it is found out that things were done to them that shouldn't have. And then there's some firing back and forth. A lot of the thought is that Koresh was trying to buy time so he could write more scripture for everybody while they're all pinned down. A, a bunch of them died in the initial wave. I think it was something like, I think it was something like uh, eight or nine of them, but that's not really where the real devastation comes in. <laughs> so the FBI moves in for a final siege using, you know, 50 caliber uh, sniper rifles and, like full military <laughs> type stuff. And they start using tear gas to flush out everybody. Now they start, when they start using the tear gas fires start all throughout the compound, I think it's three separate fires start. And as the fire starts, there starts to be gunshots inside the actual compound. They start shooting each other inside the compound. And one of those deaths is actually David Koresh who apparently had this right-hand man that he was writing all the scripture with after he had been wounded early on in one, in the first siege. Minor wound if he lasts 51 days. But his right-hand man, it said, there's two different accounts of what happens. His right-hand man is said to have turned the gun on him after realizing that the man was a complete liar, shoots him, and then kills himself. Now, the other account is that 
a mystery person shot him. And no one knows because of the fire afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's two very different accounts. Now, it's said that the actual raid that happened with all the tear gas and everything and the fires, it's said that no no weapons were actually fired by the by federal authorities. So it was everybody just inside the compound? Supposedly. I'm very skeptical of a lot of that, but that's just me. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but apparently they just flushed them with tear gas nonstop. And they're, it was like, it was so bad that once the fires broke out, which people that did survive claimed that the government did it, and the government says, no, these fires started inside the compound. There was not a way for us to do that. And as a result, 85 Branch Davidians in the compound, out of the 85, 76 of them died in this wow. fire. And it was from the building just collapsing on itself. All the, the effects of the fire. Some were saying some of the gunshots that some of the wounds people already had, I guess, in combination with uh, fire an abundant amount of st- uh, tear gas and a building falling on you mm. would probably take you out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there's a, there's some different accounts. I mean, yeah. some say that they were firing weapons in that final siege, but from what I read, it doesn't look like anyone was actually firing weapons, except for inside the church they were killing each other. Yeah, see, I'd, I'd heard the other way around. I'd heard they started the fire of the government, that they'd shot a bunch of people. Oh, my gosh. That's what I'd heard. From everything I've read, they didn't actually fire any shots in the final, hmm. the final assault. Interesting. You never know what to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so pretty wild. And the interesting thing, all the branch civilians that did survive and went to prison, they're all out. Oh, weird. And this 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 was twelve hundred people strong right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Twelve hundred? Yes. Oh my goodness. Whoa. (laughs) Twelve hundred people strong. Now the guy that's taken over it, uh, I've forgotten his name, but he he completely condemns every aspect of uh, Koresh, and he doesn't believe in his stuff at all. But yeah, it's still a <laughs> it's still there. Oof. I well here I'll I'll do mine next, you guys. But mine, I got <laughs> I got information from so many different websites that it's kind of nuts, and a lot of these websites did not have consistent information across of them. So across of them, across of them, across them. All right. Let me pull up my notes today. I am talking about the order of the solar temple. Mm. I got a lot of my information from New York times, the Los Angeles times, the Baltimore sun and Wikipedia. This sounds like something you would hear in a video game. The Temple of the Sun. Yeah. Well, it was also <laughs> called the International Chivalric Organization of the Solar Tradition. Oh, so they held doors open during daytime. Oh. And they were really good at dark souls. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a religious doomsday call that really came into its own in 1984, you guys. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> 36 years ago, if you pull out your calculator and wow. do the math like oh, I did. Oh, that's what I was doing. Beep, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, and it's said to be based upon the Knights Templar Order from the 1100s, but also from a guy named Jacques Breyer. I think that he was a French author, but he made an order called the Sovereign Order of the Solar Temple in the 1950s. So they think that a lot of it is also pulled from his material. Hmm. And then also the Rosicrucians. Um, Mm. And then they were also inspired a bit by occultist Aleister Crowley, Ah. who we've mentioned several times on the show before. But (laughs) but really, the Solar Temple had so many inspirations from all over the place that it's kind of difficult to keep track of. Right, James? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the founders really quickly, okay? Who's the top of the Solar Temple mountain? You know what I mean? Um, The sun god. Well, you know, yeah, you're you're not that far (laughs) off. Helios. Helios. The founders were this guy named Luke Joret. I don't know. Is that how you say it, James? Sounds right. And then one Joseph D. Mombro, okay? Mombro? Mombro. 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 Sorry. (laughs) Well, both were pretty full of themselves, in my opinion, (laughs) as are most cult leaders, I guess. (laughs) Right, same. Cults. But... 
actually, they were in their own little groups independently of each other, and then they came together to create the solo temple. Mm. But let's start with Luke first, okay? He was a real piece of work, this guy. And he was actually born in Africa, in the Belgian Congo. Oh. But anyways, he eventually went on to become a homeopathic doctor, and he traveled all over the world studying alternative forms of medicine and spiritual healing. And also, he became an inspirational speaker. Hmm. I guess because, you know, cult leaders just have that little sparkle. Mm-hmm. Captivates yeah. people. Beware people. anyone you like to listen to. You yeah. know. <laughs> James. James. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luke was traveling around the globe giving his little speeches when he met this guy named Juice... Uh, <laughs> named Juice. <laughs> <laughs> named Joseph DeMombro. Oh, I got us a real bad apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also great at mesmerizing people. Hmm. because cult. So Mombro founded a new age group in Geneva, Switzerland called the Golden Way Foundation. Mm-hmm. And also, I thought this was interesting. I found this somewhere. But apparently he thought he was the incarnation of Moses. Uh, hmm. This. Nice. He so he thought pretty highly of himself. Clearly. But at some point, Jurette spoke to the Golden Way group, and then he and DiMambro they met. They're like, Oh, we have a lot of common interests. And then they hit it off and became BFFs, and that's when they formed the Solar Temple. Yeah. Officially in 1984. And Jurette was more like he was like front facing, he was like the smiling face of the group to bring people in just because he was mm-hmm. so captivating. And then DeMombro kind of dealt with the logistics behind the scene. Z. Okay. Yeah. But from what I could tell, their group picked up speed after its creation, and they had followers all around the globe. It was never like a massive group, but they did have a following that was global. Mm. So, they, but they had followers in Switzerland, in Canada, Spain, France, possibly Germany, possibly other places too. Mm. So, let's talk about their beliefs, okay? <laughs> Honestly, this research gave me some serious flashbacks to heaven's gate just Mm. because it's kind of similar in some aspects so the solar temple believed that the world was going to end in the 1990s Mm. and when that happened members would transcend to a new plane of existence right their lives would end on earth specifically they'd be going to a planet that circles the star sirius oh yes goodness that's that pops up in a lot of occult circles anymore, the, the dog star. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, I mean, they had a lot of inspirations, so. Mm. But a member of the group named uh, Robert Chabrier wrote in a book, apparently, that the group's big goal was to, quote, establish correct notions of authority and power in the world. Mm. And then also to assist humanity through a great transition, which I guess was probably going to the star series. But they also wanted to prepare everyone for, quote, the solar god king. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> AKA, they said it was the second coming of Christ. Oh. Which they also, I also read some places that Luke Jurette apparently thought that he might have been Jesus reincarnated. Mm. Which would also, like, if you think back to our reincarnation episode, John Lennon said that he was reincarnated. Jesus. Yeah. Who's right? Why can't they both be? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nuts. And also, he also said he was a reincarnated member of the Knights Templar, which I guess is maybe why they had so so much of that belief in it. So they were an esoteric group, you guys. Remember esoteric? You know what that means? Yeah. (laughs) But much like the Freemasons, they had little lodges where they would carry out their little meetings and rituals and stuff. And they also had tiers of membership. Yeah, and membership was not cheap, you guys. Yeah, platinum mm-hmm. status is not easy. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't afford it. Alex, we, w- we wouldn't be able to afford it in a thousand years. Oh, yeah. You at least get a tote bag. What, if, <laughs> what is it, like a thousand dollars? Is well, that why we can't afford it? Okay, so basically... <laughs> <laughs> basically, at the top of this little scheme was something called the Synarchy of the Temple. And those, I guess, were the top secret members. And I assume this is where Jurette and Dimabro were. Mm. 
but these members were top secret. And underneath them was this little group of 33 people called the Elder Brothers of the Rosy Cross. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, James, James. Well, 33 is a very important occult number, and it's often, it's a it's a big deal amongst Freemasons and Rosicrucians. So, Rosicrucian means Rosy Cross, so there you go. There you go. Uh, and then it fanned out from there. But in order to move up the chain, you had to undergo various rituals and you had to buy all this expensive items for your initiation, including fancy jewelry and clothes. Mm-hmm. I picture being being <laughs> like the cap and gown. So well. <laughs> <laughs> but I picture it being like the cap and gown that you have to buy when you graduate. Like uh. you're moving up there. <laughs> but I looked up how much fancy caps and gowns are for our alma mater, University of Kentucky, you guys. Right. And I found one package for $395 for the entire Ooh, outfit. Uh, yeah, mm. I don't remember paying that much when we graduated. Mm. Uh, I don't know. James, did you walk? Nope. Got my diploma in the mail. <laughs> Smart man. Yeah. Well, well I, if you guys remember, I graduated in December, so I was like, screw walking in like five or six months yeah i was i was so mad okay so i walked <laughs> but i technically was graduating in may because they made me do a stupid internship and uh, so my name wasn't in the book when i walked my family all came to the graduation they're like looking in the little congratulations this is everybody who's graduating and cc's saying with her like whole 4.0 and everything great she'd ever done wasn't in there it wasn't in oh, there oh man i was like why am i even here but then when i walked across the stage you know how they tell everybody, don't clap, don't make any noise. Alex yelled, pop, pop. Yeah, because at the time I really liked uh, Community. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, he yelled, pop, pop. I yelled, pop, pop on the stage. But just nice. one, la- one last little note about. <laughs> Magnitude. Yeah. I just remembered his name. Well, one last little note about caps and gowns. Okay, listen, Jostens, I looked it up once. You don't have to hit me with all of the ads on Facebook and Twitter. Like, Every single ad that I'm coming across right now on my computer is like, buy your cap and gown from Jostin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. You are targeting the wrong person. Hmm. But anyways, back to the money. Apparently, uh, I read across several sites that Jarrett often tried to pull in affluent, beautiful people into the cult because I guess they could give him more money. Very Scientology-like. Yeah. Yeah, well, both he and DiMambro... Apparently, both had a ton of money, and they were living these really posh, lavish lifestyles, and their money wasn't really going toward the cult. Like I'm sure it was in some aspect, but they still had so much left over. Mm-hmm. But some members, they actually lost some members because of it, because these people started realizing, hey, uh, where's my money going? Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, I bet you DeMombro was like, you know, I'm going to buy a 94 Acura Integra. <laughs> the fanciest car no. around with its it. 25 miles per gallon gas tank. Did you look this up online? No, I just know a lot about cars, you oh, guys. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I'm trying to say is that you had to have money to be in this group, honey. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you didn't have that money, just get the heck out of here. Listen, you can't sit with us on a serious planet. <laughs> so, Let's get to the crazy stuff now. And for real, this gets crazy, okay? There's murders and deaths and possible gun smuggling. I don't know. I read that on a couple of sites that it might have been there, but also Mm. a couple of sites were like, there's no evidence of that. But anyways, again, I had so much contradicting information across various websites. Mm. So, you know, you should look into this independently too, okay? I'm human. So... According to DeMarco's entry, James, why are you laughing at me? You're just completely discrediting yourself <laughs> in the process of sharing facts with us. This is just my opinion, but <laughs> <laughs> I am most likely completely wrong. But this is what happened. This, listen, no, I just want everybody to know that I looked this up, but I found different things on different sides. Okay. So, according to DeMarco's entry on Encyclopedia.com. The cult started to encounter some hardships, you guys, in the early 90s. Mm. Boo-hoo. So one of the members who started to get a little suspicious about everything that was going on, he left the group. He told the police. He was like, listen, Solar <laughs> Temple is a cult. And he filed a lawsuit against him. Oh. Boom. 
Boom. Yeah. And now the authorities are like, oh, you know, we should maybe look into this thing. And then in 93, Jurette, he was arrested, you guys, for allegedly trying to buy some illegal firearms. So mm. much for freedom of a religion. Yeah. <laughs> and then DeMambro gets sick, cancer reportedly. And then another blow, his daughter, Emmanuel, whom he believed was supposed to kick off this new chapter for the cult and like save humanity and stuff. Mm-hmm. She was like, listen, dad, this cult life, yeah, it's not for me. I've got <laughs> dreams and they're not here. And this is when things started to kind of really get crazy. So hmm. DeMambro decided that it was finally time for the cult to move on to their new home planet. And so begins the mass murders and suicides. Mm. So this first thing that happened is immensely upsetting because an infant uh, was killed. So October 1994, two of the cult members, Tony and Nikki Dutois, had a son whom they named Christopher Emmanuel, which did not sit well with DeMambro. Remember, his daughter's named Emmanuel. And she's supposed to be this really, you know, significant part of the cult. The Baltimore Sun reported that Joseph DeMambro would decide when cult members could have children. And he would tell them what they had to name the children. And apparently, DeMambro was not consulted with about the Dutois having a child. Mm. And then they gave their son a name that matched DeMambro's daughter's name. So DeMambro determined that the baby must have been the Antichrist. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Nothing narcissistic about that. And he ordered that the Dutois family be killed. And so that's what happened. He got two of the other cult members... I think it was a guy named Joel Egger and Dominique Belaton to go to the family chalet in Quebec. And then they killed the family. And it's possible that the two cult members who actually planned everything, they might've gone back to the chalet a couple days later, cleaned up, which I don't understand why they clean up, but they then set the place on fire and then took their own lives, which I did read somewhere that apparently they believe that fire was basically like what would take you to the new planet. It's cleansing. So maybe that's why they did it. But that was really just the first mm. in a long chain of really weird events. So after the Dutois family murder, DeMambro organized a quote-unquote Last Supper, trying to mimic the Last Supper from the Bible. And I couldn't find specific details as to what it entailed. I think that they all went and ate out at a fancy restaurant. But – This is when the mass suicides began. So they actually took place over a period of time, 1994 through 1997. And they often occurred on special dates, like equinoxes and solstices. Mm -hmm. In total, I think the number was 74 people took their lives or had their lives taken in Switzerland, France, and Canada. And unlike Heaven's Gate, the method of death, it was kind of all over the place. So in Heaven's Gate, you'll remember everybody did the exact same thing, except for maybe the last four people. Right. Yeah. Well, some of the people with Solar Temple ingested poison, some put plastic bags over their heads and were then shot. Uh, There was evidence that some of the members had been drugged before their death and some children were also found. And so police were like, this probably wasn't all suicide. So in several... Several of the cases, members were wearing their little ritual robes, and they were kind of laid out in organized patterns, like circles and stars and stuff. Mm. So it was clearly, like, there was clearly some planning involved. But Mm. authorities only really discovered the mass murder-suicides because the buildings were set on fire with remote-controlled devices. Oh. So, again, that was probably what took Uh their, their spirits away. And it took police a while to discover that Luc Jurette and DeMambra were amongst the dead. Some people thought that Jurette, this was like when it all happened, everybody was trying to figure out, you know, what the heck just happened, what's going on. Some people thought that Jurette had organized all the deaths so that he could get away with all the cult's money. Hmm. And they apparently, I, I mentioned earlier, they apparently had a lot. And I saw some articles claiming that at one point, $93 million was transferred into a bank account held by DeMambro in Hmm. Australia. Mm. A lot of money. But then I also read some articles that said that that was never verified. And I'm not sure if like the dates correspond because, you know, when all this happened, it was a lot of chaos. Nobody really knew what was going on. So there were a lot of puzzle pieces to put together. But yeah, DeMambro and Jurette may have actually believed the material they were preaching, you guys. 
Because when the group carried out its final acts, obviously they took their lives too. Uh, Maybe. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But they (laughs) sent a little pamphlet out to various news agencies stating why they did it. And in it they wrote, quote, Thus with a clear mind, we leave this earth for a dimension of truth and perfection. There, away from obstruction, hypocrisy, and hostility, we shall give birth to the seeds of our future creation. End quote. And then they also said, mm. quote, it is with unfathomable love, pure joy, and no regret that we leave this world. Men do not cry for our fate, but cry for your own. End quote. Ooh. Ooh. I don't like that. But again, there were some rumors that the group was a weapon smuggling front, but I found some conflicting reports on that. So I do recommend people look into this group and kind of, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of material out there on it. I promise. Mm-hmm. But you guys, mm. that is the order of the solar temple. I tried to see if there are still some believers of this cult. And there were 400 people left when oh. all the mass suicides had ended. So it's, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure if there are people out there who still believe in the teachings of this cult, but yeah, they could be. Who knows? So yeah, that's what I got. Mm. James, what are you talking about? I am talking about the Aum Shinrikyo, uh, which is, Gone through a few name changes, more on that later, but uh, they are most known for uh, the 1995 Tokyo uh, subway attack wherein sarin gas was released. Oh, I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, little uh, little background on these guys. <laughs> they got started in the in and around the the early early 80s. And they were largely inspired. Uh, it, it blows my mind how frequent science fiction and cults overlap. Uh, Asahara, the, the, the head of the, the group, he was really into anime and manga, which, you know, who isn't? But he was also, <laughs> he also was ra- rather fascinated with biblical prophecies and uh, Buddhism. And most notably, this is the peculiar thing with that, I don't know what the deal is with cults. Uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy, hmm. uh, which, you know, it, it shows a group of, of spiritually evolved scientists who have to go underground during an age of barbarism, this is a quote, so as to prepare themselves for the moment to emerge and rebuild civilization. Again, that kind of reminds me also of Hel- uh, Charles Manson's family, you know, the helter-skelter, you know, the, the world will end and then we'll, be, we'll come out to take back over the, the chaotic society that's left behind. Hmm. That's, that was sort of how they looked at it. And that's what a lot of doomsday cults believe. They, they believe in some huge chaos, you know, some great war. And then because they prepared and they, they, you know, went underground, they're the last people standing uh-huh. and they can inherit the earth. That's a really common theme as we've seen. Well, another thing that Asahara believed, uh, and I have, I've, I've not found any basis for this in anything else <laughs> is that, People with bad karma, if they die naturally, they they go to hell forever. But if they're killed by someone who's truly enlightened, like, say, the members of this group, then they can reincarnate, so then they have another shot. Uh, <laughs> so uh-huh. that was one of the reasons why they argued for this attack. So what they did was they, they actually went to a river and they cultivated bacteria well sarin uh from said river and they just they had these massive fermentation tanks and at one point one of their members actually fell in one of these fermentation Ew. tanks but 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 survived oh so that's a- uh, i'm assuming yeah either there wasn't enough bacteria at the time was very early on or uh, this person was like a witcher or something <laughs> there's, there's some uh, i was really shocked when i found out about this but over time, well before that even, they started getting increasingly violent. Uh, you know, again, this is a common thing. When you're dealing with these narcissistic uh, cult leader types, things start getting uh, more severe. Uh, for example, they actually had some sort of ritual. We don't actually know uh, all the details of that, but one of their members, uh, Terayuki Majima, drowned during this. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Instead of reporting it naturally, they just ground up his bones, cremated his body, and scattered it uh, at a nearby lake. Good lord. So, As you do. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, one of Majima's fellow members was 
uh, a friend, and he did not like that. So naturally, they they just killed him. Asahura had him killed, mm. and I don't. We don't even know what happened to his body, as far as I know. But mm. yeah, Asahara's view, though, that the world was going to end, and uh, that people with bad karma, in other words, people who weren't members, had to be killed by them in order to even get a another opportunity to avoid eternal damnation, led them to decide to, you know, attack a subway. So. What they did was they had sarin canisters in strategically located spots, and they released it, let it seep out. I mean, it, it's it's staggering. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, like, wrap my head around that. Like, why sarin? Why did they do this? A, a lot of it, you just have, you'd have to understand Asahora's mind, and it's just not really plausible you know because this guy was pretty unhinged if you just look at a picture of him he does not look like somebody anybody would follow you know what i mean he had health anxiety he he was a very paranoid guy he he claimed that freemasons and jews had actually forced him to make uh the toxin later on (laughs) so yeah just a really up and down guy, not like anybody else we've discussed, really. Like like all the cult leaders we've discussed have had issues. They've been, you know, very bad people. But this dude, he's a little too up and down and, and a little low on the, the charm to really be an effective cult leader. Right. And yet, right now, there are over 1,600 active members of his cult. Oh. This is This is today. This is well after the attack. One cool thing I will say about Japan, um, you know, a lot of people think that America is the only developed country that has the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, their response to this was to just kill Asahura, wow. <laughs> as well as like six of his higher level followers. So, really? yeah, there's not going to be any interviews with them, uh, un- unfortunately for us in that sense, because we don't have as much uh, resources. But uh, as far as the reputation, it was obviously tarnished and they're still under a lot of government observation. But they're not outright outlawed. A lot huh. of countries, ours included, recognizes them as a terrorist group. Yeah. And there's, there's been other things since then. At one point, uh, two years ago, really, they drove a car into a crowd. Um, in 1994, there was the Matsumoto uh, incident, which, you know, killed eight people and injured 500. That was, uh, shoot, what was it uh, that happened there? A bunch of judges were attacked. I know that. It had something to do with a real estate dispute and and so yeah right so uh that's right they 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 crashed a uh a truck containing sarin into a a complex so yeah they've done a lot of bad things so in order to no joke in order to sort of have a pr shift uh to start let me let me just say they actually have a pr person so how weird is that wow um Uh and more on that person in a minute but they actually changed the name of the organization to uh, Aleph. So I've heard of that. In other words, yeah, well, Aleph still is running. Like I said, it's got 1,600 active members, uh, but also they have a spinoff group. So, oh, boy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that PR person I was telling you about, uh, Menon LaRue and uh, his son, Antoine LaRue, uh, not Japanese, as you can probably tell, they started their own little group called Hikari Noa, or the Circle of Rainbow Light, which... <laughs> Sounds like a kid's show. And their symbol is a gold wheel, which is a symbol in Buddhism and Hinduism. But in this case, it's surrounded by a circular rainbow. Huh. He claims, yeah, yeah. Um, Manon claims that it's not actually a religion. It's more of a way of looking at religion. Oh, of course. But, I mean, come on. It's got a, a religious symbol. And this dude used to do PR for Flippin' Aleph, formerly known as uh, Om Shinrikyo. So... I'm a little skeptical yeah. <laughs> as to whether they've changed their their overall view, but yeah, it's it, it's really nuts. They actually, after the the USSR collapsed, they moved into the Soviet states. So uh, just four years ago, Montenegro, which uh, used to be part of the USSR, if I remember right, they actually expelled 58 foreigners suspected of being members of Aleph, aka Om Shunrikyo. So. There's been a lot of 
backlash against this group. I will say that. Like a lot of countries, they're illegal. They're illegal in Russia. They're illegal in, uh, like I mentioned, the U.S., a lot of European countries. Mm. So at least there's that. And largely, again, because of all these incidents. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of anything else to, to add to that. Man. Kind of, yeah. As Cece would say, they but, sound like but, bad news bears, man. Bad news bears. <laughs> they sure do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nuts, man. Yeah. The, the Matsumoto Sarin attack uh, in 94, that was... They they tried to kill a bunch of judges. I already mentioned this before, but I also thought I would add that the reason that they were able to, to carry this out, I, I just find this interesting because I didn't know this was something you could do. They actually aerosolized. They, they made an aerosol with the sarin, and they put it in a refrigeration truck that they modified to release it. So I, the reason why I bring oh. this up is it's really next-level stuff. Yeah. You know, this isn't cyanide applesauce in plastic bags this is like something you'd see in like a joker movie this is like the dark night but it's real you know what i mean i don't like that one bit yeah oh that's bad yeah james way to freak me out yeah that's a good way to end our cults episode Uh, with the bad stuff (laughs) (laughs) oh man Hmm. well james thank you for telling us about that Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to add before we draw from the vase? Just give me the vase. All right, I'll give you the vase. We had, and thank you to everybody who sent us submissions yeah, this week. We got a lot. More more. This thing's getting more and more full. I know, and it was already pretty full to begin with. Yeah. All right, next mm. week. Oh, dragons. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. And this was actually submitted to us by somebody, but they didn't want to share their name with us. So okay. you right. know who you are. And we're saying thank you. Yeah, shout out to you, mystery person. Hmm. All right, you guys. So we're talking about dragons. I guess. Alex, who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music. Anywhere you listen to music. Anywhere. So until (laughs) next time, you guys, we hope that you can keep keep it straight. Our neighbor is rocking out right now. You had to have money to be in this group, honey.